Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to follow me, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thanks be to God for his word. It was a very big moment for Jesus with his disciples. He brought them to this high moment to teach them a most important lesson and actually to teach all, all posterity. Jesus got into the idea by asking them, who do people say that I am? And then he eventually said, who do you say that I am? That was the point. That's where Jesus was, was going. I don't really think he was that interested in what the people at large thought he was very interested in what these 12 who had been pouring his life into, what they, what they were making of him. It was a high and important time for Jesus and his disciples. He asked this pointed question, which echoes down deep within us as well when we hear the question, because each of us have at some point dealt with this very question. As if Jesus was as if the Lord Jesus was speaking to each of us at some point in our lives, we have had that question come to us. We've almost sensed the Lord say directly to us, Who do you say that I am? Peter, under the influence of forces and powers not in his control, proclaimed, You are the Christ. Jesus accepted approved his answer. In the presence of all of his beloved disciples, Jesus approved Peter's answer. If there was ever an important pop quiz, it was this one. Jesus saw that they were tracking with him, and so he knew they were ready for more, and I'm sure that this was a high and heavy moment for the disciples, for Jesus. Jesus gave them this moment. He knew what he was doing. He brought them to this moment 
on the edge of much more. He brought them to this mountaintop to prepare them for the valley ahead. He was a Messiah, Peter was right on. But he was not the kind of Messiah that they expected, nor did any of the rest of the Hebrew people expect why they put him to death. He was the Messiah, but at that moment, with the disciples, he presented an entirely new paradigm for the Messiah. Actually, it wasn't entirely new. It was predicted in the prophets, in the prophecies of the past somehow. The conventional expectation of God's people became that the Messiah would come and deliver them from Roman oppression and establish in a physical way the kingdom of God. On this occasion, with the disciples, Jesus attempted to give his disciples the true and right paradigm. He told them, yes, I am the Christ. And now I'm going to suffer. And be crucified. Die. And then be raised from the dead. Dramatic mood change must have taken place. They expected the Messiah to show them the way of victory, and he showed them the way of the cross instead. And therein lays the gospel. Therein lies the gospel of Jesus Christ. It often goes against the grain of conventional understanding. It upsets the apple cart. It clashes with our categories. Often the gospel knocks us off of our mountaintops. After all, Jesus did not choose the mountaintop. He chose the way of the cross. He didn't tell his followers that they were to take up their mountaintops daily. But he told them they were to take up their crosses daily for his sake. The way of Jesus and the way of his followers is not the way of the world. The gospel is subversive. It goes against the conventional wisdom and thinking. Jesus taught that his path was the path to glory, but it would not be a glorious road. He taught that the way of the Messiah was not one of physical deliverance, from oppression, but spiritual deliverance from oppression. He taught that the way of the Messiah was the way of the cross. When the Jesuit missionary Matteo Risi went to China in the 16th century, he brought along samples of various religious art to illustrate the Christian story for people who have never heard it. The Chinese readily adopted readily adopted the portraits of the Virgin Mary holding her child. But when he produced paintings of the crucifixion and tried to explain that the God-child had grown up to be executed, the audience reacted with revulsion and horror. They much preferred the Virgin and insisted on worshiping her rather than the crucified God. When Peter rebelled against this notion, Jesus rebuked him, saying that he was under the influence of Satan and the conventional wisdom of the world, the conventional wisdom of God's people. 
He told them that his mind was on human things, not divine things. Note here, the way of Satan and conventional thinking often are hand in glove. The way of the world is the way of exalting the self. Jesus' disciples were eager for the Messiah's reign and to have positions of honor and glory in it. Jesus taught that his way was not about self-assertion, but self-denial. Following after Christ meant hanging out with the weak, the marginal, the rejected of our world. It means giving up our titles, taking up the towel and the wash basin to wash someone's feet. This is a divine thing, not a human thing. It's a human thing to accumulate much of the world's goods, as much of the world's goods as we can. It means grabbing more and more of what the world has to offer. We seek after things and pleasures and honors and positions and status in the world. Jesus calls us to forget such things. He asked, what does it profit us to gain the whole world or to forfeit our life? Our culture teaches us to continually seek to gain, to fill up our storehouses. In our economic marketplace, this security is being shaken. Christ teaches us to continually give away stuff, to continually give away our lives for the sake of others, and ironically, we will be storing up treasure in heaven. It's a human thing, and not the way of Christ to think that we can do it all on our own. Pride tells us that we can do life on our own. We don't believe that we depend upon Christ for everything. It's a divine thing to understand and believe and to humbly admit our dependence on Christ. Jesus said if we're embarrassed by him or deluded into thinking that we don't need him, that we've somehow succeeded without him, then we're in for a big come down. Lord, help us to distinguish between divine things and human things. Help us to distinguish between divine thinking and human thinking. Christ's way is subversive. It changes our ways, replacing them with Jesus' ways. The way of the cross is giving of self for the sake of others. It's acknowledging our dependence upon God for everything. It's being honest enough to admit our dependence upon him. Bearing our crosses is not about putting up with various weaknesses. It's not about putting up with particular afflictions or handicaps. We've often said, this is my cross to bear. Have you, heard, have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? This is my particular cross to bear. He or she is my cross to bear. <laughs> Well, that's not really what Jesus meant. Bearing our crosses is about putting up with any kind of suffering or adversity or affliction for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to take up our cross. 
Are we experiencing any kind of suffering for Jesus' sake? Are we having any kind of adversity for the sake of the gospel? That's the way of the cross. This is the calling to which Jesus calls us. The way of the cross is a divine thing. The way of the cross is often the way of the unconventional. Human thinking in the way of the world often influences the church. Followers of Christ. We have to be diligent to identify and distinguish between human thinking and divine thinking all the time in the church. Think of, I think it was last summer that I taught, taught us all something that I learned at a conference. Basically a prayer, Lord, be in my mind and in my thinking. Be in my mouth and in my speaking. Be in my heart and in my feeling. Be in my hands and in my doing. Lord, be in my mind and in my thinking. Be in my mouth and in my speaking. Be in my heart and in my feeling. Be in my hands and in my doing. It's a way of coming to understand divine things versus human things. It's a way of following Christ and taking up our crosses. Amen.